his car toppled, building and tired, just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the industrious Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing quite well. How are you, Shag? I am damn excited to be here. Well, that's good. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a review it episode where we get to recover the latest issue of Aquaman, and normally we'd cover Aquaman and the others, if that hadn't been delayed in shipping. And we get to cover an issue of Firestorm Classic. <laughs> Never going to get old, my friend. Uh, for you, maybe. Uh, yeah, we had planned with the original, I guess to peek behind the curtain a little bit, we had decided to move our review episodes back a week so we could do Aquaman and Aquaman and the others on the same week because we don't want to do two review episodes in a month because we have such little space already as, as it is. So we were planning to do both books this week, but then I just realized that Aquaman and the others, I don't know whether it was always planned to come out the first week of May or they bumped it or something, but anyway, Aquaman and the others did not come out this week. So this week we will just be doing Aquaman and Firestorm Classic, and we will get to <laughs> – I'm leaning into this kid now. Uh, we will uh, get to Aquaman and the others number two at some <laughs> other point. I just figured out what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and we will roll in – in a couple of weeks we will roll in some um, – Future's End coverage. Yes, we're not going to yes. we're not going to go in depth. We're not going to cover all of Future's End. But if there are critical Firestorm story beats to talk about, we will do that. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, but we've got a lot to do. Not a lot of time to do it. So let's just jump right in, folks. We are going to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Uh, thank you to InStockTrades.com. It's your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off, with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. What you got, Rob? Uh, well, as everybody knows, I am a huge fan of Ramona Fraden. I worship her. Just, I've loved her art ever since I was a kid. I love it as an adult. It's just great. Uh, Insuck Trades has a book, The Art of Ramona Fraden. It's a hardcover. 
Uh, it's by from Dynamite Entertainment, and it says, For the first time ever, the definitive retrospective of Ramona Fraden's career presented in The Art of Ramona Fraden. It features interviews by um, – uh, she was interviewed by Howard Chaikin. That's interesting. Mm. Howard Chaikin interviewing Ramona Fraden. She talks about her artistic career, accomplishments, and creations from her early days at DC in the 50s to her later work at Marvel's The Cat and Fantastic Four and DC's Plastic Man, Freedom Fighters, Super Friends, many more. It features a foreword by Walt Simonson. Oh, wow. Can't beat that. 144 pages, hardcover, normal price $29.99. In stock trades has it for 40% off, $17.99. If you love Ramona Fraden's artwork, and you should pick up this book, because it's just if you just look at the cover in stock trades, it's got a great close up of Brenda Starr, and then in the background, all these pages of stuff that Ramona did. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. I will absolutely be buying this book for myself, so pick it up. I wonder if she reprinted the restraining order she has against you in the book or not. <laughs> She's always been very sweet to me, and I was so thrilled with myself at the last Baltimore Comic Con because I, I didn't get the chance to see her at the show. I was busy doing some other stuff. And then I ran into her in the parking garage, <laughs> and she remembered who I was. She knew my name. Oh, wow. I was so impressed with myself. I was like, Ramona knew, remembered who I was. Because, I mean, she's like 85 now. I mean, you know, I only talk to her like once a year. I don't expect her to remember me. Uh, you, were you wearing that big name tag that says, hi, my name is Rob? Or? Why, do you, why do you try to ruin my moments? <laughs> I don't want you to have any joy in your no. life. Oh, well, mission accomplished. So anyway, all right, go ahead. <laughs> well, this month, uh, when we sit down to talk about Aquaman, uh, of course, the, the antagonist of the issue is uh, Hercules. And it is a beardless or well, he's got. I guess he's got a beard, slightly, a little bit of a beard. Anyway, I thought it would be good to talk about another um, faintly bearded Hercules, uh, also involving a book that involves a lot of DC creators. So I picked Avengers X-Men Premium Hardcover, Blood Ties. That's right. That's the first thing you think of when you think of DC and Hercules. But it's got a load of DC creators involved. It's got Bob Harris, Roy Thomas, Scott Lobdell. It's got art by Steve Epting, Andy Kubert, uh, John Romita Jr. You know, all these are DC guys, right? <laughs> You're supposed to be laughing. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, this is, believe it or not, this is back from the heyday of when I was started collecting Avengers. Uh, it, it reprints uh, several issues of Avengers and X-Men. This was the big crossover they did for their 30th anniversaries where they had the big foil covers. It was, I mean, it's extraordinarily 90s, guys, okay? <laughs> I am not pulling any punches here. I mean, even the cover has Captain America stretching muscles that aren't even part of the human anatomy. Um, but... If you loved the brown jacket era of the Avengers like I do, this is a this is a great book to pick up, you know? It basically involves the island of Genosha, and it's a big mess. And uh, the Avengers and the X-Men both come in to try and make sorts of it, and it gets involved with Magneto and Magneto's uh, acolytes and everything. Uh, it's fun stuff. Again, you love the 90s, and you know you do. You don't want to admit it. Everyone like it's like, it's like it's like picking on Aquaman. You know, it's an easy punchline, the 90s, but you know you loved it when you read it. Anyway, Pick it up, 208 pages, full color, normal price is $24.99. This is for a hardcover, by the way. And you can get it now uh, for 42% off, and it's $14.49. Hell of a bargain right there. Does it come with, like, chromium trading cards or polybagged or whatever? I hope so. Uh, so, <laughs> folks, uh, again, our thanks to InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Please check them out, and please go to their contact page and tell them Fire and Water Podcast sent you. All right. So, uh, time to talk to that guy that talks to fish. That's right. 
Uh, Aquaman number 30 came out last week. The story is Fallen by Jeff Parker, of course, art by Paul Pelletier and Sean Parsons with some help by Alvaro Martinez and Raul Fernandez and coloring by Rain Barredo. Uh, after a brief uh, side plot with uh, that takes place over Triton Base, we get to the main story, which is Aquaman as he's about to be thrown into this fiery pit by Hercules. Uh, he gets dropped... But he doesn't actually land in the pit. Why? Because the Dr. Evans guy, the guy that stole Aquaman's trident, closes the portal before Aquaman lands. So instead of landing in this hellish dimension, he just hits the ground with a thud. So there, right now, for the moment, Aquaman is saved. Um, Hercules chases after Dr. Evans. Aquaman gets in the way and punches him. And he tells Evans, "You can you open the portal again? Uh, using the trident. And Evan says, yes, I can. He says, I can try and reopen the portal to the same hellscape that, that uh, he came from. And Aquaman says, no, 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 I don't want to do that to him. I don't want to, like, he's still, even though Hercules is this mad creature, he's basically doing it because he was wronged. So Aquaman isn't trying to punish him necessarily, but he also, but he also does have to deal with this guy because he's just destroying everything. So it's got a whole bunch of pages of Aquaman and Hercules just beating the crap out of, out of each other, which is great. Then there's another subplot involving Mira, where she uh, almost falls prey to an assassination attempt by some Atlantean soldiers who are loyal to Orm. She's almost killed, but it's saved at the last minute by Tula, who is not terribly loyal now to her brother. She is more on the side of uh, Mira and Aquaman, so she steps in, helps save Mira. We get back to Aquaman and Hercules. Aquaman pulls the whole Briar Rabbit routine, where he tells, he tells Hercules, whatever you do, don't stick me in the water. I don't want to drown. So, of course, Hercules, not being the brightest god in the world, shoves Aquaman under the water, which is, of course, exactly what he wants. Aquaman then lays a great roundhouse punch on Hercules, knocks him, like, several feet in the air. They drags him underwater, and as he's being held there by one of his octopus pals, Aquaman just pummels him mercilessly, which is awesome. The whole page of Aquaman just beating the crap out of Hercules to the point where he's actually knocks him unconscious. He then brings him back up, back up to land. Evans opens a new portal. He dumps Hercules in. Hercules wakes up just to see as he's about to be thrown in, and he screams like, no! Hercules, I mean, Aquaman feels kind of bad because he realizes, you know, again, he's not necessarily a bad guy, and it ends with him saying, I'll try and find a way to help him, but it'll have to wait. So that's a whole other subplot they give return to. We cut. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to come back. That's going to come back later. <laughs> so then, uh, then we see Aquaman and Mira talking to each other via like an Atlantean view screen, and these other Atlantean royals are thinking, "Oh boy, Mira's going to tell him what happened, and all hell is going to break loose." But she doesn't. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't tell him. They're they're looking kind of surprised, and Mira's like, "Well, okay, boys, now that I've all saved your skin, you are going to help me deal with our security problems." And that is something that Tula can get on board with because she's there sort of standing there as Mira's guard. The final page features Aquaman talking to Wonder Woman. And we talk about that, uh, you know, he just dealt with Hercules, which is, of course, Wonder Woman's half-brother. And uh, <laughs> so it ends up uh, this issue pairs splits off into two different uh, sets of stories. It talks about the upcoming Aquaman-Wonder Woman team-up in Aquaman Annual Number 2. And then the next issue, a team-up with Swamp Thing. So Aquaman is just team-upping all over the place here. Uh, in the uh, subsequent issues of the series. So that's the plot of this one. As I said on the Shrine, I don't even know why. This was my favorite issue Parker has done to date. Really? Yeah. Uh, There was something about the way he 
worked in the subplot with Mira that to me I felt felt very organic, much more than had been in previous months. I loved Aquaman again getting to be an ass kicker, although he's been able to he's basically been doing that every issue since Parker took over. But I liked that he pulled the old switcheroo on Hercules. I thought that was great. <laughs> Has, has he ever done anything like that before? Not as Just much. A... They don't ever write him like that, which I like. I mean, he's a he's a king. He's a brilliant tactician. He's supposed to be. You know, he's not just so. Well, he's not just like a hothead. So I love that. The Mira side plot is great. I love that Tula is headed in that direction. Of course, becoming eventually Aqua Girl in some form. Um, I loved everything about it. I just thought it was great, and I love the fact that the Hercules thing didn't go on for too long. It was, two, mm-hmm. it was two issues. Two, two issues. That's it. I loved it. It did not need to be six issues where it's the trial of Hercules trade paperback. I mean, you know, they'll trade this, obviously, but it'll be part of something else. So I walked away from this issue, like, thoroughly satisfied. And I and on top of it is, I think, as I've said before, I think Pelletier is getting better from issue to issue. And I actually emailed him to tell him that the other day. Oh, okay. And he wrote me back and said that he's really frustrated that – Basically, from his first issue on, he's been behind the eight ball in terms of the deadline, where he's like basically been behind from mm-hmm. the beginning. So that's why they have these fill-ins, these occasional fill-ins. And he says he's desperate to get to where he's doing the whole issue. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, but he you know he said he's super happy with with how it's going, and I am too. I think I, I feel like Parker and Pelletier are gelling better as a team, and considering the run that they're following. Which mm-hmm. is one of the great Aquaman runs. You can already say that now. They're, I think they're on the way to establishing their own tone, their own era of the book, which is great. I think that's what everyone needs, what Aquaman needs, what the readers need. So I was, I was really happy with this. I was really, really happy with this issue. And since you're talking specifically about the artist, I'll bring up something that's on my mind. Um, the, I don't, I don't want to call them fill-in, but the, the additional art right. team this time, mm-hmm. uh, Alvaro Martinez and Raul Fernandez, I really like their pages. Me too. Me too. I mean, a lot of times the the additional artists are like, oh, okay, well, somebody had to help Paul out. This time it's like, ooh, I like these. Like this first page, it, I love the panel design. Mm-hmm. I love the layout, the the shadows, the hinting. It was really good. And then the pages were with Mara's attack is drawn by this other guy, mm-hmm. and it's really, really nice. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm I was very pleased with that. So all all around the the art for me was just great the whole issue round. Um, her, the start with Hercules, as you mentioned, I'm thrilled that it was only two issues. I was so excited about that. Okay, re-looking at the issue, I totally realized I was wrong about him not having a thin about him having a thin beard or whatnot. That was a stretch, just to get my in stock trades joke. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I don't know. Like someone wrote in saying they were upset that Hercules, who should be a Wonder Woman villain, came in in Aquaman. And I guess a little piece of me understands their frustration, but I think it worked kind of well here. You know, uh, the the. The, they're both have mythological origins, Aquaman and and uh, Hercules. So there's there's a nice mythic quality to it. They do bring Wonder Woman in at the end of the story, mm-hmm. which is a nice touch. And for some reason, for the first time, I realized how much I like the new Fifty Two Wonder Woman costume. It just, I mean, obviously, I'll say it, she's hot. But the the design with the silver rather than the gold, it just it's really grown on me. Yeah, me too. I was literally going to say that phrase. It's growing on me. I didn't, yeah. I didn't like it when I first saw it, but now I like it. I'm like, no, it looks cool. Uh, yeah. And the little red stars that are on the red body piece that I couldn't figure out originally why they were the same color, like, I'm down with it now. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I, I, they, they did a smart move in redesigning that costume, and it just took me a while to catch up to them. It's probably the way to say it. So, um, 
what else? Uh, okay, I have a question. This also came from some of our listeners who wrote in about last issue. It's just a thought for you. Is Are they making Aquaman too strong? Are they making him... Because right, right now, he can essentially fly with Mara's help. Right. He, 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 <laughs> he's more special. He, right, he's becoming Wonder Woman. I mean, he's becoming Superman, though. You know, he can essentially fly. He can pick up a car in each arm and throw them. <laughs> you know, um, he's... Is he too powerful? Are we losing some of the niche of where... Is he becoming too much of a Superman clone, where he was a niche before, you know, as like a, a medium-strength guy becoming too powerful? It hasn't bothered me to this point. I, I mean, I, I think it, it all depends on how you want to highlight it. I mean, he, he'll take on other villains where strength won't be as much of a of an issue. I mean, here it's it, it's it's to the forefront because he's taking on one of the strongest guys there is. So, I, no, it, does, it didn't bother me. I mean, yeah, him being able to throw cars with one hand each, I'm like, whoa. Like, they, I mean, you know, back in the Steve Skeets era, people were knocking on Aquaman but hitting him with a block of wood. <laughs> you know, so I don't want—I don't want to go back to that as much as I love those books. Um, no, I, I understand that criticism. So far, that just—it doesn't—it hasn't jumped out at me as like, oh, that's not right. So you know, he's really ramping up what he can do, and you know, they may scale it back in later issues and, and things like that. I mean, he's clearly stronger here under Parker than he was even under Johns and the boys, because yeah. if he's able to punch out Hercules, then in the previous issues where he hit Black Mana, he should have just knocked Black Mana's head off. I mean, literally, the head should have just flown off. Um, so, you know, Parker is maybe kind of going, you could maybe say he's going too far the other direction, but for now, it's, it, if if they only do it during special times, that'd be cool. That'd be fine. I don't want to see him every single issue flying and throwing cards with one hand. But yeah. when he's taking on Hercules and a giant sea monster, okay. <laughs> Alright, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what else? Let's see. I, I kind of like that they're splitting the story, going with Swamp Thing and Wonder Woman. It was actually, it's weird. It's like I felt like a little kid. I was like, when I got to that page, I was excited because the storyline was going to continue in two different directions. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, two of them, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, God, there was more. I, was, I, I should have wrote down more of my notes. I was really excited when I read this. I was just like flew right through it. Well, overall, I, I guess I'll just give my impression in general sense. I love the issue. Really felt a, a great sense of uh, not well to and done. I guess it just it felt so good to just read an arc that quickly was over, and it just the, the story moved well. You got your story, and it moved on. And there's still the dangling threads, yeah, which, which, yeah, which yep, will yep. make a, which will make a good trade. Ah, loving it, absolutely loving it. So. And also, one other thing I do want to mention because uh, I don't think I've mentioned him previously to this point, but the uh, the new colorist. Uh, mm-hmm. Rain Barreto. I mean, everyone knows I have waxed Rod Reese's car uh, thoroughly in these previous episodes. I mean, I waxed his car. I gave him the true coat underneath. I did the whole thing. Well, so uh, he means that literally at conventions. He has to go I, wax I do. I do, I do. I do do that. It's weird because he flies in. I don't know why he brings the car. But, uh, Just for you? But anyway, the, the new color of Rain Barreto I think is doing a really nice job. And one page in particular I wanted to mention uh, I think it's page like what, like fifteen or six. The one where he's under the water, and Hercules is being grabbed by the octopus, and there's the one panel of Aquaman doing the do 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 thing. That's yeah. the the hues on it. The underwater sequences are the really nice with the like blues and greens because and they contrast nicely with the super hot colors that are going on the in on the land sequences because everything's all hellfire and craziness. So I think Rain Barreto is doing a very nice job, and I would 
like I said, as, as, as hard a job as Paul Pelletier and Sean Parsons had taking over for uh, Reese and Prado, Rain Barreto has to take over for, for Rod Reese, which is a, not an enviable task. And right. he's doing – I'm assuming it's a he. I don't know. Rain, I can't actually tell what sex that is, that name is. But I'm assuming it's a male. Um, is doing a really good job. So they have managed to find good people to follow this very historic run. And uh, I'm – you know, again, Aquaman's got a second book. Things And, you know, we got some maybe, some, uh, maybe a live action thing happening. So, you know, <laughs> it's good stuff happening. So this was – Really, really satisfied with with this issue. Yep. So, uh, I think the only thing really left to say about it is Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> All right, there we go. There we go. Uh, yeah. Well, we wanted to mention this too. About we, last week, we briefly touched upon uh, with the news about the cyborg being cast, the character being uh, cast to appear in the Superman Batman movie. Well, in the week since. We did the show. They've formally announced that they are making a Justice League movie. Flat out, they're making Justice League movie to follow the Superman Batman movie. Mm-hmm. So now we know that the Superman Batman movie is not a Justice League movie. It's a Superman Batman movie. I guess with all the other characters sprinkled in, leading to Justice League in 2018. I think what they said. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. I thought they said 2018. So anyway, so there's that, and you know they have not mentioned Aquaman. Uh, I, I. Will be disappointed if he's not in it. I really will because I just feel like it's 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 time. Um, plus, you know, you can't have a league with like four guys. You gotta have you know, you know. And, and a girl. Well, I, okay, I mean, you know, it can't be Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg. You gotta have a couple more characters than that. Um, but the thing I wanted to mention that just came up was last week. Like, okay, I've mentioned before that my feelings about the Justice League movie. You know, but why I don't think it's going to be very good because all the, you know, I think, you, anyway, I said it all last week, right? Okay. And we've, we've talked about it many and we've times. we've talked about it many times before. So just a couple of days ago, or actually just yesterday, the news broke about the Star Wars cast being officially announced. Mm-hmm. And that just blew up Facebook. I mean, just everybody had that picture of all of them sitting around, including, including me, uh, on their wall of, of, you know, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and the new cast members all together. Now, I have a friend who is Captain Curmudgeon when it comes to the Star Wars movie. <laughs> he is convinced it's going to be crap, and he will not hear anything else. Like, he lit, uh, I was like, and I, and I have said that the prequels really ruined Star Wars for me in a lot of ways. Not perpetuity, not like I don't like the original movies. But my enthusiasm for Star Wars really got dimmed after those prequels. That, that's a good way to describe myself. Enthusiasm was dimmed. Right. That said, I am – my hard-won cynicism is failing when I saw that photo of the cast. I, the, the little fanboy in me is so excited that there's going to be a new Star Wars movie that when my friend was being like kind of like, oh, it's going to suck, I really got like angry at him. I didn't tell him that. I just sort of kept it to myself. But I got like, why are you being this way? Why Why not give it a chance, right? And then I realized, well, that's what some people probably feel when they hear me talking about the Justice League movie. Mm. So I decided, okay, my opinion about the Justice League movie has not changed. I still think all the conditions are, are not optimal to make this movie the way they're going to make it. But I'm going to stop saying that I don't think it's going to be any good. I'm going to stop. 
because there are people out there that are super excited about it. I understand it. There's going to be a Justice League movie. We're going to see Superman and Batman in a film for the first time ever, ever. So I can see why you're totally jazzed for that. And so, therefore, I'm going to let – I'm going to stop being a negative Nancy and just say, okay, we're done. If Justice League news comes up in the next couple of years, we'll obviously talk about it and be excited. But I – want people to be as excited about Justice League as I am for Star Wars. Because, like I said, I didn't think I could get excited for Star Wars again. I really didn't. I thought just, to, you know, Anakin and Jar Jar and Watto and ugh, Sand gets and everything. No. I just, I just, I'm like, okay, there's a portion of Star Wars that I love, the rest, ugh. But now that I'm going to get to see New Hand, New Luke, New Leia, something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime... I am totally geeking out over it, so let's just all be positive. <laughs> That's sort of my attitude of taking. Like, I'm just going to be, okay, st- opinion stated, we'll move forward. Well, I, I agree with everything you just said about Justice League, and I will, I will also endeavor to try and be more positive. But I just got to talk about Star Wars for a minute. Sorry, you brought it up. You, you oh, can't yeah. just bring no, it up there no, and not sure. let me. Um, I, I've been a little cynical myself, just because, as you said, the, the prequels injured my enthusiasm. So I, 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 while I was, you know, thinking, okay, this could be different, I just, I don't know. Certain aspects, mm, you know, I was excited. I am excited about Abrams. I wasn't sure how I felt about having the original cast back. Just to, it could dull the original you know, excitement, whatever. But something about that photo, oh, my <laughs> gosh. I think, this is going to sound stupid, but it, I think it's because it was in black and white. Like, it reminded, remember all the still shots we saw from either the making of Star Wars or, like, the cast in plain clothes standing around in between shots sure, or whatever. Sure. Those pictures get get so much excitement out of me because it's like, oh, it's the guys, and it's not from the movie. It's a scene, I, you know, a quote-unquote scene I didn't see, even though it's like them eating a sandwich or something, whatever. <laughs> but um, And so this felt like one of those. The only question I really have is, like, where's Ken, they say Kenny Baker's there. Would they stick him inside the R2 unit? Because I didn't see him sitting anywhere. <laughs> Hey, guys. Let me out. Boop, let me out. Poor Lando. Lando didn't make the cut. <laughs> well, you know what? I said that on I said that on Facebook, and a friend of mine pointed out that maybe it's not a great idea to jam all the old people in the first movie because they're making a trilogy. They're making another trilogy. So bring Lando back in part eight or part nine. I'm like, okay, I buy that. I, I, well, yeah. the, the only the only argument against that is out of all the old cast, I think he's the one that's. Um, not aging the best. Oh, I think he's doing all right. Well, he was on Dancing with the Stars, right. but he's, he was—he's he, an older man. Well, you know, right. I mean, hey, so. say Max Moncito was in his new movie. He's older than that guy, so that's true. Yeah. That's true. So, yeah, I, I got totally. I, like I said, all my—you know—Shag and I talked about this off air a little too. I had the same reaction when I first saw the first shot of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones again. When he was mm-hmm. on the set, and it was like you were talking about, it wasn't even a scene from the movie. It was him like sitting in a director's chair, but he was in costume and he had the fedora and the whole bit. And when I saw that again, I was like, oh, "It's it's Indiana Jones again." Now, mm-hmm. I do not regret that movie got made, the last one, even though it's not good. <laughs> I don't regret that it exists because it's it 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 gave me a chance to see Indy one more time, and it gave me a chance to see. Karen Allen, uh, one more time. So uh, I'm happy that movie exists, even though I know it isn't very good. And doesn't matter if they make Indy Five, I will go to that one too. So there's something about just you know th- there are clearly those little buttons in me that I didn't necessarily think could be pressed 
anymore. <laughs> and this this photo of them, this announcement did. And so if there if ever if there are people out there who are feeling that way about Justice League, great, more power to them, and let's you know like enjoy it, enjoy the the savoring, knowing that this amazing thing is coming. And even if it's disappointing, so what? You know what I mean? Like so what? You enjoy the prep and. You know, whatever. It's our it's our moment in the sun. Let's have yeah, fun with exactly, it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In fact, I think it was it might have been Daniel Cynical Adams. I don't know. Someone posted the, some of the Justice League news on a, a group I'm part of, and I think it was him. Anyway, I just like the way that it was in the announcement that DC's got nine movies that they're starting to plan out. <laughs> and what they wrote was, "Hey Marvel, on your left." It was just brilliant. I was like, "Oh my god!" That was so finally funny. a Prez movie. Right, Zach, Rag, Ragman, and Ragdoll yeah. together. Uh, but yeah, I just like the, that was a very clever line. That was. So, that's good. That's good. So, yep. Yeah, there's there's amazing things coming down the road, and it's uh, it, we it should all be enjoyed, you know, instead of trying to find ways to, to crap on it. So, uh, so for the break, we're gonna run some old Star Wars vintage toy commercials. Those are the lifeblood of my existence. So have fun with them. And when we come back, we're gonna talk a little some current events, and then of course we're going to talk about Fury of Firestorm Classic. Star Wars figures, R2-D2, Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia, they're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars early bird certificate package, new from Kenner. From Kenner's Star Wars collection comes the Stormtrooper, the Sand People, and all 20 action figures, including new Hammerhead, Snaggletooth, and more, each sold separately. And now, Boba Fett, Star Wars villain, with his laser rifle. Boba Fett is not yet available in stores, but you can get him free with four proofs of purchase from any Star Wars action figures. Details on specially marked packs at participating stores. Offer ends May 31st. Star Wars action figures sold separately from Kenner. And we're back for the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man classic. But first, we've got some news to talk about. Uh, DC uh, recently sat down with Newsarama and talked a little bit about the, quote, the new 52 hyphen future's end, end quote. Um, it's a complicated t- title of a series, but either way. It's a new weekly series. You guys have probably heard us talk about it or you've read about it. New weekly series coming out. One of the main characters is going to be Firestorm. And, in fact, Dan Jurgens was on the show a couple weeks ago talking about it, and he was the one, one of the ones who was being interviewed, Dan Jurgens and Brian Azzarello. Either way, um, I don't want to talk so much about Future's End, but what I wanted to talk about is a piece that came out of this, which was that Dan DiDio apparently revealed that both Future's End, so New 52 Future's End, and Earth 2 World's End, which is apparently another, I guess, weekly series that's coming up, they end at the same time. And they both happen to end right before the 30th anniversary of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Hmm. So a lot of people are wondering, is it a coincidence? Well, when they asked Dan Jurgens and Brian Azzarello, they both looked at the DC publicist, and then they answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, it could be a coincidence. And they said, but let's just call it serendipitous. <laughs> so... That tells me that there's some connection there with Crisis. Now, I, I've been saying for a while now, and I actually don't know if I've said it on the show or just Facebook or to friends or whatever, I've been thinking that DC is going to try and plume the depths of Crisis for a while now 
because this is going to sound negative. It's not intended to be, but DC has been trying a lot of gimmicks and stunts. Uh, and I, and I say that with love in my heart, but obviously since the new 52 launch sales have dipped, they're not as high as they were originally and they are a for-profit company. So therefore they've got to find ways to sell stuff. So they do things like, you know, 3d covers. They do stuff like before Watchmen. They do stuff like, uh, the WTF month. I mean, they do, you know, you know, weekly series stuff that will give them temporary bumps in sales that are not driven just organically by their ongoing books. And so I thought, okay, it's just a matter of time until they tap either Crisis or something from the pre-Flashpoint universe to try and give them a temporary sales bump. And, my th- and this sort of gels in with this. I think that the end of Future's End, which, by the way, the thing they point out is that there's no apostrophe there. It's not possessive. It's Future's End. So, so multiple lines of the future will end, maybe. Also, there's um, you know, World's End, which happens to be about Earth 2. You know, it kind of gives you the sense that, okay, a crisis-level event could happen. Is it going to be their own crisis, or are they going to tap into the pre- previous crisis and say that the new 52 Earth was just one of the infinite Earths in the previous crisis? You know, mm. we don't, you know that could be the case. We don't know. But either way, I, I think it's going to be I – don't, I don't think they're going to bring back the pre-Flashpoint continuity. I don't think that's what, what's going to happen, but I do think they're going to plumb the depths of pre Flashpoint continuity to try and get some sales bumps. I think maybe they'll bring over one or two characters by the end of it, and maybe they'll be bumping around the New 50 universe, New 52 universe. I don't think they're going to abandon the New 52, but I think they're just going to try and get a sales bump out of this. Um, obviously, I'm talking a lot, and I've given this a lot of thought. Have you thought about this at all, or is this just... Not really. I didn't even it didn't really occur to me until you pointed it out on on Firestorm fan. But uh, I, it's a neat idea, you know. I mean, I I I I don't. I never thought that the crisis was terribly needed, even at the time. You know, yeah. I was like so. It, it didn't bother me the, the the idea of parallel Earths and stuff. And maybe if it, I, I mean, who knows if they're going to do any of this? And even if they do do this, they may not do this other thing. But like, I would love it if they brought back the Justice Society. Yeah, you know. Well, and, they've got they've got Earth too, though. Well, what's from like make it an Earth like where the JSA existed that fought during World War Two? Like bring all that back. I understand why they got rid of it, but I would love to see that return. You know, like the full version that we all remember. And if you're going to do like a pre-crisis thing, maybe you could do that. I don't know. I just I would love to see all those guys back again. Well, a lot of people are hoping that it means the new 52 continuity is going to end and they're going to bring back the other continuity. I don't think that's... No, I don't think they're going to do that. They spent too much money and... Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's even on the table. Yeah. You know, I I think the best you can hope for would be a, I don't know, Earth X Freedom Fighters book. Or... (laughs) And hopefully there'll be lengthy discussions about how they went back and forth. (laughs) No! (laughs) You know, or, you know, maybe there's certain characters that they haven't brought over that they like you know elongated man if, if i understand correctly hasn't appeared yet no no I don't you know so. maybe they bring elongated man from you know from previous continuity and he remembers the old continuity he's having to get along in the new world uh, that's not that's not going to sell a lot of books but that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about you know uh, i would love a earth 2 book that's about the previous justice society incarnation mm-hmm. either in the modern era or the world war ii the all an all-star squadron type book would make the most sense mm-hmm. you make a good point there because it's a different timeline it's a different you know decade that would be fun either way it's got me thinking you know someone pointed out on facebook interesting that if they go for like a year-long approach so you gotta stay with me you gotta do math sorry folks um 
you know, World's End starts, um, I'm sorry, Future's End starts, like, on Saturday. Uh, by the time, in fact, by the time you hear this, Future's End number zero is already out. And Free Comic Book Day, which, by the way, Free Comic Book Day is uh, yesterday. You should have gone. So, uh, <laughs> we're, we're berating the audience in the past from the future. That's right. So anyway, if you if you look at that series, it's going to be a year long. So if you look at say Aquaman number thirty, okay, that just came out. By the time Future's End ends, Aquaman will be on issue forty-two. So if they do some year-long event. Celebrating, you know, the 30th anniversary crisis, starting at the end of Future. I don't know if I'm confusing you or not, but Future's End goes for 12 issues, for 12 months. It ends. Aquaman's in issue 42. I got then it. they do right. some, they do some other like 10 or 12 month event that would bring all of the main books to issue number 52. Hmm. Okay. All right. I thought that was very clever. Someone figured out the math on that. I was like, oh. So. It just that may be a bit more serendipity, you know, of, of how it could work. DC so. is definitely hitting the whole fifty-two thing very hard. Oh yeah, I mean, issue, issues fifty-two are just going to be a big, big deal. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's fun for me because I Crisis is in my DNA. I mean, I love me some Crisis, and uh, I, I would love to, I'd love to see something done with it that's done well. So. Yes, and I know this is self-serving, but isn't it really time that DC? does Who's Who in the New 52 by now? Well, they just started the Secret Origins book. Right. Well, that's not Who's Who, though. No, but it's... I'm saying a Who's Who series of the New 52. With all the new continuities, you can give everybody new first appearances if you want, but just, you know, set it straight a little. I think that'd be be a fun thing. Again, I know it's self-serving, but... Well, we've talked about it before. It it would be better done online. Yes, it would. I know. It absolutely would. All right, let's get on to Firestorm. Firestorm. All right, folks. Sorry to keep you waiting. Okay. Uh, the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 10, cover dated March 1983. If you set your Wayback Machines, folks, don't go to 1983. We've talked about this before. <laughs> you You're going to want it. <laughs> you dumbass. Uh, no, you're going to want to set that DeLorean for December 9th, 1982. That's the date that this book hit the shelves. Thank you, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, for that information. You've got a cover uh, by Pat Broderick and uh, Dick Giordano. And it is a really interesting cover because I would say about 60 or 70% of it is drawn. And the other 30 or 40% is actually like a, was it a photo stat cover? Yeah, it's a is photo. That... Yeah, it's a photo statted in. Yeah. That's really interesting. What, and it's those line, vertical lines, is that like a style or something? Or that, is that there, a... there is a kind of uh, uh, artboard called, uh, uh, oh God, I'm blanking. Blanking what it's called. I used to remember what it was called. God, I had it in my head like a minute ago. Um, but it's it's a special kind of paper that it's treated with chemicals, and if you run over a certain kind of water over it, it gives you that texture. Oh, okay, that's cool. So I think that's what was done on top of or behind uh, that 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 photo of New York City to give it that look. It's a very striking look, and I love that the city part is colored in in blues when you've got the rest of the colors uh, less, less the rest of the cover in oranges and yellows and reds it's really it's probably my favorite cover to the series to to date other than the, the first issue cover it's really nice I, I think it's well I love the first issue's cover because it's iconic this is probably a better cover from like a design point of view because you've got Firestorm flying around the top corner of a building and Hyena is waiting in ambush to get yep. him yeah and the lighting coming up from below, like Firestorm's face and Hyena's face are both lit really expertly. 
And uh, it's really, really nice. And probably the coolest thing, or, or not, probably the thing you need to mention the most on the cover is Punch Buggy No Punchback. So, <laughs> I didn't even notice that, yeah. Yep. So, anyway, great just, cover. Just think, that's somebody's really real car. Oh, and yeah. they had no idea that just because they happened to park it on a New York City street that it's forever immortalized on a cover of a comic book. Yeah. So, maybe someday we'll find out whose car that is. Brenda Pope. Now, now I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. Thanks, Rob. So, all right, folks, uh, this is a 23-page issue, uh, and you've got the creative team. Woo! This is a Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, Roden Rodriguez joint, folks. <laughs> um, you've got Adam Kubert on letters. That's your cue? Mm, uh, well, yeah, well, we all know. He's not going anywhere in this business. There you go. And Gene D'Angelo on colors. So the team is back together after two issues off because Pat took some time off um, – to, I think he was working on a graphic novel at that point. Not entirely sure. But Pat was out of the picture for a couple months. And uh, we had a fill-in artist of Jerome K. Moore. And now uh, Pat is back. So you've got, you've got the old team back together. Let's see. Um, I, you know, a lot of times I start off these reviews by saying that the story at a 10,000-foot level, there really isn't like a 10,000-foot level on this, other than to say it's sort of a straightforward superhero story sprinkled in with the you know, secret ID drama. And the reason for that is that this is part one of a multi-part story. So really this issue is all about establishing what's about to happen. And for the first time, this is a lengthy multi-part story. We've had one-part one stories and two-part stories. This one's a four-parter. So I'll be real interested to see by part four because I haven't read ahead. Well, not in years at least. No, me neither. Yeah, I'm not reading ahead. Whether it's merited a full four parts or is that, you know, was he, was, was it stretched? So I'll be interested to find out how that goes. All right. So you've got about eight different distinct scenes. And uh, to kick it off, you've got this teaser scene out in the Arizona desert where this cute little bunny rabbit, who looks like Bugs Bunny to me, gets <laughs> snatched up by the hyena and eaten. <laughs> and then uh, the next scene you, you get in Firestorm is flying across town and he's in a hurry. He's trying to get to the airport. Because Ronnie Raymond is going to the airport to meet his girlfriend, Doreen Day, so that they can meet their um, Doreen's sister, who is arriving. Sist- uh, her name is Summer Day. Yep. Laugh yourself silly. Her real name is Summer Day. Only clever and, parents there. Uh, they Aren't they? So they're going to meet the Summer, who's been away because she's been sick. But both Ronnie and the professor know, truthfully, where she's gone is to be studied because she is secretly the hyena. And they're trying to figure out how to cure her condition. Uh, on the way, they come across a private uh, jet that is out of control, spinning out of control. It's going to crash. Firestorm leaps into action and transforms it into a giant balloon. And the, and the crew of the plane uh, gently uh, float down to the ground and are saved. They're kind of pissy about their fancy, expensive jet being changed into a balloon, so Firestorm changes it back. <laughs> then we cut to the airport where Ronnie is there. He meets the, the Doreen family, uh, Doreen's family, the Days. He checks out a girl, and uh, Summer shows up, and the family's reunited. There's a nice touching moment between sisters, and by touching, I mean they're genuinely touching. And you get a nice flashback of how Hyena battled Firestorm previously and how they found out about Summer Days. No rounded corners. How do I know it's a flashback? Uh, I didn't even notice that. And then we were introduced to Dr. Uh, Hivian Shi. and he is menacingly looking at the camera so you know nothing bad's going to happen involving that guy. <laughs> Then the next scene, you get to, you're with the, Dor- with the day household. Dor- Doreen's having a nightmare. She goes to check on her sister, Summer, and she is gone. So she quickly goes to Ronnie's house says she needs help. 
Ronnie goes to investigate. Meanwhile, Hyena is tearing up a hospital. Firestorm kind of puts a couple of pieces together and goes to check out the hospital to see if maybe they can find the hyena there. He gets lucky. They have a big fight. He notes that the hyena seems to have gotten larger and more fierce. And in the end, he is able to sort of disorient disorient the hyena. However, the hyena does manage to get away. So Firestorm then goes off looking for hyena with no luck. He goes back to Doreen. So now Ronnie and Doreen go to visit the Day family to say, sorry, Summer got away. And Ronnie's getting his ass chewed out by Doreen's father. And suddenly, Summer shows up. She seems to be out of sorts. So Ronnie's like, oh, no. She transformed to hyena, and she's back. Uh, but she's not covered in all the chemicals that hyena was covered in when he got splashed. I wonder why that is. And then as he's walking home, he is savagely attacked by hyena. How could that be? Summer's back home. What is this? I'm confused. So then uh, Ronnie, bleeding out, uh, essentially goes to Professor Stein's house. And to try and get himself patched up, he doesn't know where else to go. And him and Professor Stein are sitting there having a cup of coffee talking. And the doorbell rings, and dun-dun-dun-dun, they are confronted by Clarissa. That's right, Clarissa, someone you've never heard of. But she is, in fact, Martin Stein's ex-wife. How many times can you have a cliffhanger that is simply the introduction of a character you've never heard of that is somebody's ex-wife? And it'd still be cool. Next issue... Clarissa explains it all. <laughs> well, before I start breaking this down bit by bit, what'd you think? Oh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I'm a little, I'm always get a little sketchy on relatives or some close family member of the superhero in question also happens to be a supervillain. Like a little too, you know, a little too on the nose. Like, all right, you know, we don't all have to be connected here, you know. Um, that, but that's. That's just baked into the hyena character, so you have to just sort of live with it, you know. Uh, no, I thought it was a, 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 you know, a lot of fun. I was, um, I mean, you get the big action sequence with the plane, which is done in a very nice full-page shot. Again, Pratt Bonder really knows how to pace these stories quite well. Um, he crams a lot into a tiny space, like when the sisters meet up, there's a lot of tiny panels, and then he has some room to breathe. Um, I'm sort of, like, <laughs> a little shocked. At the outfit that uh, Doreen wears when she shows up looking for her sister, that that got past the comics code? <laughs> well, no, no, no. She didn't show up wearing that outfit. She That was the outfit she wore to check on her sister. Well, that's her, what I, well I just mean the outfit that she's dressed in is what I mean. Yeah, well, she's in her pajamas. And, and this Merritt's talking about. I'm glad you brought it up. So I'll just – would you like to care to describe the outfit? It's – well, I mean she's she's in, the, in like a nightie that's very diaphanous. So you could basically see everything – what she's what she's wearing underneath. It's just it's very revealing for what I would think a comics code comic would have had in 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 this time. That's all. Yes, and I think it's fair to say you know every issue I make sort of a judgment on whether Doreen is a bitch or a helpful girlfriend. And this time, um, thanks to this scene, I'm probably going to be a little more charitable to her. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, she's 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 walking around in lingerie, folks, and it's nice. So, hooray! <laughs> now, she does put on clothes before she goes to Ronnie's house, which is probably depresses him. But I think it's kind of funny that Ronnie wears, like, you know, old man button-down pajamas, too. Something else is funny you said about Ronnie. It's a detail that the that, that Broderick gives that I don't think is noticed. You know, it's, it's easily missed. Is that in virtually every appearance that Ronnie has, he has different clothes on. And that's because people okay. wear different clothes. You know, we don't, people don't wear the same two shirts, you know, in perpetuity. And that's a nice little detail. 
Uh, and it probably takes a lot of effort to try and remember that, to give him, all right, he's got like an orange shirt here, he's wearing like a button-down short sleeve. Later on, he's got his, I mean, he's in his jammies, of course, but I mean, it's like he doesn't, and I notice this in other issues too, that he does appear in different clothing throughout the series. That's which, interesting. Again, this is a nice detail. It's not something, I mean, I, actually, I think in this issue, he is mostly wearing his orange yeah, shirt. Yeah, he's wearing the red shirt the whole time. <laughs> but, um, well, no, he, well, I think at one point it's got his long sleeves and then the shirt. Well, it's, or is well, it, well it, it, the whole thing takes place over the course of a day and a half. Well, so, I mean, true. he's. Okay. He puts on a shirt at two in the morning. He just grabs what he threw on the floor. Okay, when he meets when he when he when he meets the girls, when he meets the sister, he's got a. I don't mean to spend as much time on this, but when he when he when he's at the airport, his shirt is short sleeves, and later on, he's got a long sleeve shirt, even though they're the color the same. It just it's just a nice detail that that, that you know again gives it a bit, bit of verisimilitude that like yeah, you wear different clothes different days. It's not a uniform; it's clothes. That's really I had never thought about that. I'm gonna have to be looking for that now. Huh. And, uh, you know, cause sometimes he's wearing football jerseys and, you know, all kinds right. of different yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's not like Clark on Smallville. Always blue shirt, red hoodie, right. or red backpack. <laughs> so, or not hoodie, but red jacket. So, yeah, very cool. So I, I'm going to start going, you know, bit by bit here. Feel free to jump in at any point because, you know me, I, I can talk, you know, ad nauseum about these things. But, so I'm glad I'm not alone. It really does look kind of Bugs Bunny-ish. Yeah, it's <laughs> – Pat Brodick's a great artist, but I don't know if he really – is able to draw rabbits effectively. That fourth panel, he really does look like he's he's about to appear in a Captain Carrot or something. And then it gets really gruesome when you see in the first panel, the second page, the, the poor rabbit gets yanked by the ear. I could have lived without seeing that. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, it's Blood a, splattering. Yeah. yeah, it's a little a little on the cartoony side. <laughs> yep, yep. Where's the Pismo Beach? You know, it's like... No, <laughs> So then you get to Firestorm flying to the airport, right? So if I read this right, and they don't even put it in here, Ronnie is just using the Firestorm entity instead of the subway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? He's just like, I got to get across town. Never mind the fact that when we split, Professor Stein is stuck at the frickin' airport and has to take a bus back into town. <laughs> what the hell? Really? <laughs> um, I do like, like, you mentioned the page with the plane out of control. I like Firestorm flying. I really like the close-up of Firestorm's eyes, where you see the black, mm-hmm. you know, shadow, and he's like, "What? That's great." The plane itself, though, like it's like Broderick drew a plane and then just drew a bunch of spinny lines around it. Now the spinny lines are pretty cool and effective, but like, I don't know, the plane just looks too static to me mm-hmm. to be like spinning like that. I don't know. It, it, and, and he only had so much space to work with. He could probably only do it as one page, but still, it just it doesn't. Do. It's hard to it put something in motion like that. Hard to do. Absolutely, it's so easy for me to sit here and criticize with zero artistic ability. You know, I'm, it's I'm armchair armchair quarterbacking this thing here, but still, um, Ronnie is a bit of a dick to the professor throughout this scene. He's like telling the professor to loosen up, and he's saying, "Oh, professor, you state the obvious. Oh, you're doing it again." I'm like, wow, Ronnie. Considering again, you're using Professor Stein as you know uh, a bus token. Shut the hell up and be a little <laughs> more polite to the guy. All right. So, I love the balloon. The balloon because the balloon actually has the Firestorm symbol on the side of it, which is so like you know so brand centric. I love that. Yeah, it's again another little detail that gave you insights to the character. That that's nice. And then when Firestorm's arguing with the guy from the plane, there's a really nice coloring effect that Gene D'Angelo put in. Firestorm's tip has, like, the little nuclear symbol on it, and there's actually a glow on the guy's face yeah. that he's threatening. And that, I thought that was a really, really nice Light touch. and heat are coming from Firestorm. Yep. 
Yep. Now, Firestorm's able to transform the plane back, I'm sorry, balloon back into a plane. That one I did have to scratch my head on, because the concept behind Firestorm's powers usually is he can transmogrify something from one thing into something else as long as he understands the destination object's makeup. Like, he understands how a giant trampoline works. The physics of it, the material, so he can create a giant trampoline. He understands a bowl of ice cream, so he can create a giant bowl of ice cream, or a giant rubber duck. That's usually why they use silly props a lot of times, you know, or a balloon. But he can't create a car, like an actual <laughs> car with moving parts. He's not able to do that because he does not understand an engine inside now. So I don't think he knows how to control the plane either. Now, I guess it could be some sort of instinctual thing. I'm no prizing it here, folks, where he restructures the object back to what it was before. And it's just instinctual. Like, I can bend my knee. I have no idea how I bend my knee. I really don't. I know there's muscles that do it. I I can close my eyes. I don't know what muscles do that. I don't know actually how that works, but I can do it instinctively. Maybe that's like an instinctive thing to put it back ordered the way it was. I don't know. Yeah, you got nothing on that, do you? No, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have as much of a problem with Firestorm being able to do these things as you do. <laughs> I just like Jerry Conway wrote him, he can do it. Well, sure. I'm not saying he can't, but, you know, uh, versimilitude, whatever that big word you like to use, needs to be there. So, uh, I love that Ronnie's checking out the girl in the airport. That's great. Are those things it's... painted on? Right. <laughs> It's just such a teenager thing. It's the kind of thing I'd get myself in trouble for. It's just like, are my my eyes aren't three feet tall or whatever. So, uh, I like that the dad's trying to intimidate Ronnie. That's cool. The flashback itself is really nice. Uh, although now I, I'll never unsee the missing rounded corners, but <laughs> I like it tells the story quickly. It really captures the look of that issue. Like even Firestorm shirt being ripped open from that from that issue, and then uh, her parents, Summer, on the ground upset, and her parents are in silhouette. It's sort of it sh- the silhouette with the dad with his hands outstretched shows their sort of helplessness and not shame well almost shame really yeah of of what's happened here and it just it sells so much with just a little image I mean that's it's expertly done by Broderick very really, dreamlike yeah really really nicely done so uh, let's see uh, yes again uh, I am. Definitely seeing Doreen more favorably this issue for certain re- for a couple of reasons. Uh, in Ronnie's room, it's kind of hard to make out because of the coloring. Is that an ET poster? It is exactly an <laughs> ET poster. That is exactly right. He's got an enormous, and this thing's got to be, God, probably six feet wide. <laughs> it's an eight feet tall. It's a giant ET poster on his wall. It's awesome. So and I like it. He's got his belt on the floor and his shoes and a basketball. It looks kind of, you know, kind of like a teenager's room. So it's funny. Uh, although I, at his age, I don't know that he'd be that into ET. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess he bought it. Only actually, this is only a year after ET. So yeah, he'd probably yeah. be a little old for that. Actually, this is just the fall after the summer of ET. Yeah. So. Oh, well. Um. Okay, Doreen does pull a kind of a shitty girlfriend moment here, where. She, she says, oh, Ronnie, I don't know what to do. My sister's lost. And Ronnie's like, I'll go look for her. And that's fine. But if you stop and think about it, you're like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't she offer to go with him? Or at least, you know, insist on it. Is she just going to let her boyfriend solve her problems for her? That's pretty crappy. So, Poor Professor Stein. You know, at 2 in the morning, Ronnie initiates the Firestorm merger. And Stein, it shows Stein in front of the TV in like a comfy chair, and he's clearly startled because he's got his little feet up in the air and his arms. It's sort of the same reaction a baby makes when they're startled. It's like, oh! <laughs> you know? um, 
I don't know whether he's up watching TV or he's asleep in the chair. I like to think he fell asleep in the chair like an old man, like I do. So that makes me happy if that's what happens. But I do like the the, the nuclear uh, or nuclear uh, like swirls around them. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in showing the initiation of the merger. Mm-hmm. I just, it's I don't know. That just screams classic, iconic Firestorm to me, and it makes me so happy yeah, when I nice see that detail. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then the Firestorm flying in front of the moon is really nice shot. Really nice shot. The flame, you know, peeling behind him and just the moon by in front of him. And it's just a nice little, nice flash, nice little tiny Firestorm shot. Now, Firestorm, the way Firestorm tracked Hyena to the hospital was he said, okay, Summer doesn't know anyone in town except for that doctor guy she came off the airplane with, um, whatever his name was, Hivian She. He's the only guy she knows, so she's probably going to go to him at the hospital. The logic's a little weak, but, you know, you give it to him, I suppose. But because normally Hyena would go after the police. That's kind of the, uh, Hyena's M.O. So, you know, that, that's a bit of a stretch. You know, it could have been better if he'd, like, heard about it on a police scanner or something. But, you know, you give it to him. It's a comic book. Whatever. Now, when you, when you see the Hyena, do you actually envision the Hyena laughing? No. Me either. Even though... It clearly is. Yeah, in almost every scene. Yeah, but like I never hear it in my head, and that's to this day, even modern day hyenas. It's like I just don't hear it. So maybe it's because it's drawn more like a wolf than a hyena. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we 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 as as a society have decided like that's related to hyenas is laughing, but hyenas are nasty. (laughs) They're not. They're not jovial cartoon character creatures. They're really pretty nasty. <laughs> Absolutely true. That's why they're the scavengers of Africa. Yeah. Uh, there's a nice shot where Firestorm up close has to blast Hyena. Because fi- the reason, supposedly, the Hyena is tough for Firestorm is because Hyena gets in close. Immediately always gets in close. And Ronnie just can't fight in close. It's just not what he can do. He's a blaster. He's He zaps stuff. So fighting Hyena in close is difficult for him. So here he has to blast Hyena very up close. And I like the, the shot, the lighting, the fazam mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. and even the slobber off of, like, hyenas being blasted backwards, mm-hmm. which is kind of a nice effect. So, and, you know, uh, Broderick really thought that drawing out, I think. So it was pretty cool. And it becomes a very physical fight. I mean, Ronnie just starts punching the crap out of hyena. I think it looks like he even did a two-handed Kirk punch. I'm not sure. <laughs> so um, now here's a question for you. It looks to me... When he knocks Hyena on his, on his ass across the room, that Firestorm has super strength. That's what it gives the appearance of. Not Aquaman picking up two cars level no. super strength, but, you know, more the stronger than a normal guy. The argument could be made that perhaps he does have the strength of two guys because he's two guys combined. I don't know. But if you reduce who's there's – there's a little series called Who's Who. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, they did an entry on Firestorm, and he, there's no mention of him having super strength. However, there's this other thing you may not have heard of. It's called Mayfair role-playing game, DC Heroes. And they have an entry on Firestorm, and they say he does have super strength. In fact, he's incredibly strong in that game. So it leaves me wondering, does he have super strength or not? I don't know. And that's very difficult for me. (laughs) I don't sleep much anymore. Your CDO kicking in? Uh, Uh, It's exactly what it is. My CDO, I'm glad you got it in the proper alphabetical order. Thank you. I would argue he does have extra level strength because his body is a construct. It is not a literal body. It's a it's a it's a creation. So why not? Why would it, it can fly? It can do all sorts of things. So why not have additional strength? It's not it's not constructed the same way a regular human body is constructed. So I don't think it's set 
I don't think he's limited to having the strength of a teenager and a slightly older gentleman. Yeah, that's interesting. So if he is a construct, could he have, like, his arm cut off and it not affect him? Like, you just have it later on again? I don't, do we ever, does that ever happen in the 60-odd issues of Firestorm? I don't know. I'm trying to remember if he ever got injured in one form in, like, his Firestorm and then transformed back and he was okay. I don't remember. I'm, I'm sure that plot point came up. It must have. Because, like, in the back of my mind, it's tickling. In fact, I think there's something next issue tied into this. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. Well, if but, there's if there's any scientific basis, uh, if there's any science science to be found in the uh, Super Friends, uh, when uh, Xana Jaina would turn into water, and you know, an ocelot or whatever the hell she would turn into, <laughs> his water would get spread all over the place, and somehow he would just reform. You know, he didn't have like a foot missing. You know, no That's matter true. how much the water got spilled. So I think yeah. maybe the same thing would work for Firestorm. I think we're gonna find. Remember, I told you he got uh, savagely attacked. In this issue, Ronnie did. Right. I think we're going to find that Firestorm carries those injuries into next issue. Okay. There's a there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's a point to that. So, uh, when they get to the day's house, I love that the mom's got her hair in rollers. That cracks my ass up. And the dad just yelling at Ronnie. I just love those kind of teenage angst touches. They do a really good job with that. And then that panel where Ronnie gets attacked. I really <laughs> like that panel. I think I think whoever drew the final panel. Uh, I mean, obviously Broderick drew it, but whoever was in charge of putting in that blood, which is done in black, not in red, because the comics code wouldn't let you do blood in red, you had to do it in black. Yeah. I think they overdid it because it really looks like I need to ripped out Ronnie's brains. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, think in the next page, he's just there, like, touching the back of his head, like, ow, oh, that smarts a little. It's like, no, I think the entire back part of his cranium was ripped out. <laughs> I don't think this is, I think this is more than an ace bandage, you know, this is a little more than that. Gonna have to shove your brains in. Yeah. Um, well, it is a savage-looking attack, and the thing I like about the panel is there's actually three drawings of Ronnie in the same panel. It's like a full body of him walking, him looking sort of like sleepy, daydreamy, and then the attack. And it's just a nicely constructed panel. I think it conveys a lot. I like that. But yeah, he's 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 he got curb stomped or something. Yeah. It's bad. It's and, bad. And I love Hyena's funny run in the final panel. He's like yeah. <laughs> now here I can imagine him laughing. So. Yeah, um, I like that they're, they – I like when they do stuff like this where they try to bring a subplot in and then something distracts them. Like Professor Stein is about to tell Ronnie that he's basically been fired. Right. And he doesn't get to because it's interrupted. I like stuff like that where it's like, no, oh, the subplot. Oh, we got stalled. That's great. I love it. And then Clarissa. Again, the, the cliffhanger of an ex-wife showing up. That's I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> So, all in all, I really dig this issue. It is a very good establishing issue. Uh, again, there is no major story here other than superhero adventure. And I'm looking forward to see what happens in the next couple of, I mean, I know the gen- general plot of the next few issues. That's why I know Ronnie's injury plays a role. Um, and if you just look at the cover of the next couple of issues, you're going to figure out what I mean. And um, But, you know, I, I, I just hope when we get to the end of it, it's like, oh, that was that story needed to be forced issues, and that's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping for. So, it's good to have Broderick back. Uh, not, yeah. to, not to besmirch Jerome K. Moore, but uh, it's nice to have the the full team back here. Yep, and we'll have them together for another eight issues or so. Very yeah. good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back next month where we talk about Firestorm number ten. And we just uh, talked about number ten. Number eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I need more Diamond Dew. Uh, 
I feel like I got run over by hyena's claws. <laughs> my brains are leaking out the back of my head, but luckily, hey, just put uh, some bandages on there. It'll be fine. Luckily, Doreen's going to show up in a negligee to nurse me back to health. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Um, that's going to do it. Please touch base with us on the social medias. Use the hashtag pound fw podcast let us know what you think about these issues i want to hear your thoughts on the aquaman issue and the firestorm issue uh definitely i want to hear what you guys think of what you liked about the story what maybe didn't work for you tell us you know you can use facebook twitter tumblr google plus all these things uh, instagram all of them take hashtags now so use pound fw podcast and then we will get in touch with you and the fellow listeners will get in touch with you and you'll have all kinds of conversations <laughs> they've been having a lot of those lately mm-hmm. so. Uh, Rob, if they want to email the show, what's our email address? Firewaterpodcast at concast.net, and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You think you would just record some kind of end tag for that to save them? More effort to drop it in, and it's just for me to say it. <laughs> and you can find Rob at aquamanshrine.net. Uh, you can also find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. And you can find me at firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram, all under that same handle as well. And folks, until next time, uh, when we're ready to talk about the next batch of issues, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, So we'll introduce it in War Against Crime and Crime Patrol. So in Crime Patrol, I wrote a story called The Crypt of Terror, starring the Crypt Keeper as a storyteller. And in War Against Crime, I did a story called The Vault of Horror, starring the Vault Keeper. And Bill finally says, okay, let's drop them. And so... The Crypt of Terror and the Walter Hara magazines were born. They replaced the crime books.